not because we're good, but we, we come to you because the work of Jesus allows us to come to you, God. You, you promised that you would clean us because of the work of Jesus, that you would make us sons and daughters. So, so God, we come to you because of Christ and because of him alone. God, we think you're worthy and you're strong and you're huge and you're holy. God, I pray that we as a people would, would stand in all of that. We'd be amazed at, at your greatness. We'd be shocked that we could come into your presence. But I'm, God, I'm praying we'd be a people that would always, always trust in the fact that it's in Christ alone and his work on the cross. And God, we're also praying right now. We want to continue worshiping as we look at your word. And God, we're asking that you would work in our hearts. God, would, would you send your spirit here to walk through our midst and, and expose the things that need to be exposed? God, we pray we would taste your grace today. We pray we would encounter you through your word. And get, God, I'm asking that you would help me to teach. I pray you would help me to teach by the power of your spirit, God. Help me to do it faithfully. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, everyone, it is definitely July because it is hot as death outside the last couple days. I don't know if y'all have picked up on that. I, I thought through June, I was like, oh, we're gonna have a cool summer. And uh, July entered in and has totally shattered all my dreams of any type of summer where I would not sweat to death. So uh, I hope that puts you in a good mood this morning, not a bad mood. That's why we got the AC cranked down as low as we can get it for you today. Um, here's what we're doing. We're gonna continue our series on prayer. Um, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter six, so you can turn there. And, and as you're turning there, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to have happen as we've done this series in prayer is the desire that I have is that all of us would have a real and serious encounter with, with a real and living God. I, I don't believe we serve an imaginary God. I don't believe that we gather just because of tradition or that we have these, these figments of our imagination that cause us to love this. I, I want us to have a real, like a real encounter with the living God. And I also, uh, as I read the Bible, I, I, you look at Acts and you see the movement of God through his people. That there are people getting saved all the time, right? Like th this gospel, this good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, it exploded on the scene in the first century. I mean, it literally flipped the whole world upside down. And then I look at that and I read that and I experience church. Please don't be offended by that, but... I experience church and, and what I read and see in the New Testament and what I experience on a regular basis at church feel very, very different. Like the church in the New Testament seems strong and powerful. It like it literally, it shakes the city that it's in. And the, the church in the U.S. feels, can I just say not that? Will that work? Um, and I know that's bad news and for us, but I'm sitting there looking at it saying, man, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and that, that desire for us to have a real encounter with God, to see the church really move in the way that it looks like it moves in the New Testament, man, to see that happen, to, to see the gospel powerfully at work in our lives, to see it at work through us, to reach our neighbors and our coworkers and our unsaved friends, like to see that happen, man, I... I know that's not going to be some slick program. It's sure not going to happen by my communication style, right? We, we know that. It's, it's not. The, the, the way we're going to see the, the, the 
See, I just proved my point about my communication style. The way we're going to see God move in a powerful way, I believe, is through prayer. I think it's prayer. I think we pray and we seek him and he shows up and he does it in a way that only he gets the credit for it. That's what we want, right? That's what I want. Uh, they're the five of us that said yes. Well, hopefully you want that by the end of this series. And, and so I'm asking questions because it's not just my experience with the church doesn't seem to line up with the Bible. It's my experience with prayer is shockingly similar. So we've been spending time seeing what Jesus said about prayer. And we've been in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. It's really familiar, but there's a lot in here. In this model prayer that Jesus gave, there's a ton about prayer. So let me read it to us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. He says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, that, that little model prayer that we've been looking at for several weeks now, we, we've seen that the very beginning of it is this huge focus on God, that, that he's our father that he's king, that he's going to come back one day and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth and it's going to be good and great. Like we've seen that our initial focus in prayer is on his greatness and his awesomeness and our longing for him to come and fix what's broken. And then we follow that with the fact that we, we have needs. We want him to meet our needs, our daily needs. Even though we think we might be able to meet our needs on our own, we realize very quickly we really are very dependent to have our needs met. And then this week's, oh man, this week's is verse 12. It's this part that says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I, I, I read that and uh, immediately I feel a rub in it. All right, I don't, anybody nervous about what I just read so far? All right, uh, if you're not, um, good, just enjoy the show. But for the rest of us, the, the, the moment we bring up something like forgiveness, that can feel this thing that comes up over our hearts. This thing that hardens, that, that almost cools down. It, it almost not cools down in a good way. It gets like stone cold. Like we talk about forgiveness and this, it's almost like we tighten up and tense up and be like, I'm great talking about forgiveness as we're not, as long as we're not talking about forgiving that, right? I like, and some of it may be really fresh and raw for, for some of us. It may have happened this morning on your way into church. Uh, it may have happened yesterday or it may be the old wounds that happened 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years ago. We start talking about forgiveness and the, the last place we want to go is that place that feels kind of raw and scary and we prefer it to feel calloused and cold. And any talk at forgiveness feels like it's picking at the scab. Well, that's where we're going today. And, and that's why I feel like my prayer this week has been as, as I go to, to poke at the scabs in all of our hearts, mine included, that I would do so gently and with, with gospel grace. Now, I want you to know, right, off the, right out of the bat, I am not going to spend all of our time talking about the big doozies. Uh, 
because there are big doozies that are complicated. Um, and I'll tell you the reason why is because I believe one of our biggest struggles is not in the big doozies. I mean, that requires counseling. That's complicated. Uh, I think our biggest struggles is in the regular day-to-day experience of life. Um, and I think we can mask unforgiveness in the small things because we always talk about the big ones. Now, the big ones matter. Man, the big ones matter. I'm not saying that. If you need to talk through that, I'm willing to help, and I'm going to help connect you to a counselor that can go through some of the doozies. I, I do not want to pretend to just run roughshod over that because some of those are complicated. But we're going to talk about forgiveness. And as I begin to talk about forgiveness, the first place that I want to start is the very first part place in this verse. 12a says this, and forgive us our debts. It, it, the initial, the starting place of forgiveness is the fact that all of us actually need forgiveness. You and I both need forgiveness, not just from the people beside us. We need forgiveness ultimately and primarily from God, that that holy God we talked about, that king that's going to sit on the throne, the one whose will we want to have happen here on earth. Ultimately, all of us, all of us need forgiveness from him. I I cannot go down the path of talking about forgiving one another until we spend a few moments looking at what it means to be forgiven ultimately by him. And and you need to hear this. This is really, really bad news. Uh, We don't just need a little bit of forgiveness for him. We need a lot. we, We need a lot of forgiveness because the things that we have done, they may feel small to us, but they're really big offenses to a holy God. And it's not just what I've done. It's the things I haven't done. The the good that I've refused to do. Listen, he's holy and he's perfect. And I don't measure up to that standard, not just in the bad things that I've done, but in the good things that I haven't done. And it gets worse. It gets worse for us. And I know you've all grown up in church. Please bear with me as I go through this because we can't go for it. We we really got to own this and believe it. It's not just the bad things that I've done or the good things I haven't done. The the very core of my being, my motivations, my thoughts, I'll do good things with a bad motive. Or I won't do bad things because I'm afraid I'll get caught, but I'll really want to. It'll fester in me. It'll, it'll, there'll be a longing in me for it. And if I could find a way to do it and not get caught, I would do it in a heartbeat. And God sees all of it fully and completely. It, when I think about that, do you, you know how I feel? I, I feel a little um, exposed, self-conscious maybe. Like it, that makes me never want to stand up in front of anyone ever, 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 ever again. I, I want to curl up in a corner and be away from everyone because if he sees me fully and completely down to the very core of who I am, the, the center of what I want, the, the brokenness of my sinful motivations, if he sees that, I don't even see it fully, but if he sees it fully, that's more shame than I can bear. That, that's, that's more guilt than I can ever 
earn my way out of. There's no amount of good behavior that will take that stench away. I can spritz some perfume and deodorant on it, but it's going to stink right through it. Right? It's, it's going to be bad. But here's the good news. The, the good news is in this prayer when he says, forgive us our debts, we, we see something really awesome here. He actually wants to forgive. Like We're not dealing with a God who's hard and cold and distant and we're broken and rebellious and stubborn. We're dealing with a God who's bent. He is bent towards us in forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. Like, he wants it. He, he makes this offer of forgiveness and a thing called reconciliation to make us right. Like, he offers us that. In all, in the midst of our brokenness and stubbornness and ignorance, he offers us full and complete forgiveness, and it makes him happy to offer it to us. Like, he, he loves that. He wants to forgive you and I. That's exactly why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because he wants to forgive us. He wanted to express love and patience and mercy and kindness. And he said, I know, I know you can't get to me. I, I know you can't. You aren't strong enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough, despite what all the books today say. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's way too good and he's way too far and he's way too holy. He's just way up there. And even in our best moment, we don't even come close. That's why Jesus came. And he came and he literally said, I don't need you to earn your way. I'm coming all the way to you. And I'm going to reach down and I'm going to pull you out of That's why he died on the cross. And I'm going to clean you with my blood. And I'm going to offer you forgiveness. And I'm going to adopt you as a son and a daughter. And I'm going to give you a brand new heart. I'm going to change you. And all you have to do is repent and trust in my work on the cross and ask me to save you. And I will do a work like you cannot even imagine in you. That's the good news. So when we read something in, this, in these verses that say, listen, forgive us our debts. He's saying, God, I just... I need, I'm asking, he's teaching us to pray, God, I need to come to God and say, God, will you forgive me for my sins? And I'm realizing he actually has a bent towards forgiveness, a bent that is radical and gracious and shocking. Like, don't get used to it. I know you've been in church probably your whole life. You've heard this since you were three. And we, we get over it. Don't get over this. If you get over this, you will never be able to engage the second half of this verse. Because the second half, that's the rub. <laughs> Let me read that second half again. It says this. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, do, do you see the rub there? Like it. It makes me nervous because it sounds like, it sounds like he's saying, um, God, forgive me in the same way I forgive other people. Is that what it sounds like? Now listen, I'm not, I'm not going to let us rush out of this nervousness. I just want to take a moment and just I want you to think through that. If God forgave you, the way you give forgiveness to other people, 
How would that be going for you right now? Like, I'm, I'm, like, listen, this removes all games about forgiveness right out of the gate. I mean, it removes it. Like, it, it literally, it sweeps the leg. It's the karate kid. You just, the leg is swept. You are on the ground. There's no getting back up. Like, I mean, you know, you know the games that we play in forgiveness, right? Like, either it's like if, maybe you can go 20 years. Someone does something and you can shut them down for 20 years. Imagine if God shut you down for 20 years. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's worse than that. Maybe for you the forgiveness is, I'll say I forgive you and I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but I sure don't like you. Like, and I definitely don't want to talk to you or be around you. Right? Like, I mean, it's, I do not like this verse. <laughs> okay? Like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, man, I, I'm looking at this and I don't want it to mean that. I, I don't. So listen, uh, we're going to think through this because, man, I definitely do not want God to forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people. I just, I got to be honest, I don't. And I'm assuming that you don't either. Um, it would make church really miserable. Um, anyways, let me, let me move on here. So, and I'm not going to make you feel real good. I'm going to make you feel worse because here's what I did. When I didn't like what it mean, I, mean, I spent a ton of time wrestling with that verse saying, God, I just, that doesn't feel like, I, that's not what I like. I don't like what that seems like that's saying. So I, I did what a pastor is supposed to do. I started backing up and saying, here's how you make sure you're getting it right. You read the context. This is my little teacher lesson for you. You come across a verse in the Bible you don't understand. You pull back and you check out the context because you don't want to rip it out of context. So I pulled back and looked at context. I went two verses down. Verses 14 to 15 says this. For if, you're, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. <laughs> okay, this is getting worse. I don't think I'll, this is actually, this context is worse Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is definitely worse, right? Like the context is supposed to make me feel better, right? The context, there should be good news here, right? Like that's, that doesn't just sound God, doesn't sound like God's gonna forgive me like I forgive other people. That sounds, stick with me, we're gonna do work here. Just, that sounds like what God is saying, if you forgive, then I will forgive. And if you don't forgive, then I won't forgive. Does it sound like that to you? Okay, are you nervous yet? Okay, you haven't thrown anything at me, so that's good. I need you to stick with me because literally I wrestled with this. Because here's what I'm not going to do. I don't think it's good to take a verse, not like what it says, and then just change the meaning and say, that fits better with what I've been taught. That fits better with the gospel. Okay, that's... That's not what I felt like I could honestly do and just say, it means this. I needed, to, I needed to find it in the Bible and in the context to make sure I actually understood what it did. And I'm going to be honest, I, I was hopping in all sorts of commentaries and none of them were helping me. And I had to get a lot of help from a guy named John Piper. Um, I got to give credit where credit is due. He helped me with this and one of his things. And so some of my conclusions really helped with him on that. I just want you to be aware with me. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pull way back in the context and I'm going to show you exactly what I think he's saying here. And it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay. Are y'all with me? 
Okay, before you start throwing stuff and saying, I hope he's not saying what I think he's saying. Like, I think I want to say exactly what Jesus is saying. So here's what's going on. The full context of this is from Matthew 5 through Matthew chapter, the beginning of Matthew chapter 8 is one sermon by Jesus. Okay, it's one message that he gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. So I pulled back and I read through the entire Sermon on the Mount to find out what in the world is Jesus saying here. Is, is anything in the Sermon on the Mount help me understand his point? And it got worse for me. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. This is what he says here. He says this, Blessed are the merciful. In other words, blessed are you if, if you show mercy. Why? For they shall receive mercy. Think, oh man, not again. Like, I'm only like six verses into the Sermon on the Mount, and already he said it. He's already said it again. What sounds like he's saying, like, if you show mercy, then you're gonna get mercy from God. Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. This goes against the good news. James chapter 2 uh, says something really similar. Verse 13. In James chapter 2, he says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Now James is hopping in on that. I got a gang tackle going on here where it really feels like I'm only going to get forgiveness if I show forgiveness and I'm only going to get mercy if I show mercy. It says this in James 2, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, well, okay, okay, that's three verses. Definitely not four. And then I get to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And, and he says this. We're coming back to the theme of forgiveness. If you are offering your gift at the altar, you've come to worship God and you've got a lamb that you want to sacrifice. And there you remember that your brother has something against you. You remember before you sacrifice that lamb or that dove or whatever it is. Oh, man, I, so-and-so, was, they're upset at me. And they have a good reason to be upset at me because I wronged them. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Like, okay, he seems pretty serious about this forgiveness thing. He said, don't, don't come and sacrifice anything as an act of offering to God. If some, you go fix it and then you come and offer that sacrifice. Don't just move on like it's no big deal. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. Judge not that you be not judged... So don't judge, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Oh, man. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is more. I mean, it's, it's more of the same thing again in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, I, if I show mercy, then I get mercy. If I give forgiveness, then I get forgiveness. If I don't judge, the way I judge someone, the way I measure someone is the same way that God's going to judge and measure me. Man, and then it gets worse. I get down to verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7, where he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We did all these awesome things. Cast out demons in your name. Do many mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So now it's ramped up a whole nother level of difficulty. Now he's not just saying, if you, give, if, you, if you show mercy, you'll get mercy. If you give forgiveness, you'll get forgiveness. Now it sounds like he's saying, okay, here's the deal. Like, you, you could do all these good things. 
You can go to church. You can be a deacon, be a Sunday school teacher. You can be in church your whole life. You can, do, you can prophesy in my name, cast out demons in my name. How do they even do that? Anyone got that on their resume for Jesus today? Don't raise your hand because I'm going to have questions. Anyways, um, like he, these people cast out demons in the name of Jesus and now they're standing in front of him and he's saying, no, I know you called me Lord, but you, no, I don't know you. Guys, I, I got to be honest. So I, I read this and, and I'm, I'm sweating. I'm like, I can't preach this on Sunday. I I can't walk through that because they're going to think I'm saying something that I, I don't believe is the good news of Jesus. And I kept reading through it. And there was one passage right smack in the middle of chapter 7 that unlocked the whole thing for me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. He says this. This is the key. Over and over and over again in this sermon, Jesus has been saying, if you show mercy, you'll get mercy. If you show forgiveness, you'll get forgiveness. If, if, if you obey my commands, like really like obey them, really know me, then you're going to be fine. But if you don't, it's not going to go well for you. Verse 16, he says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay. That's not helping you. Like, oh, great. I get, that's exactly what I'm afraid of. I don't know if I have the right fruits. And then he says this, verse 17. So every Healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. This is a big deal, okay? Uh, it says this in verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's what he's saying. Here's why this is essential to this conversation. He says this. Listen. It's not the fruit that condemns the tree to the fire. The fruit tells me what type of tree it is. If it's a good tree, it's going to produce good fruit. And if it's a bad tree, it's going to produce bad fruit. It's not the fruit that gets the tree thrown in the fire. It's who the tree is that gets it thrown into the fire. Now, that may not make you feel better, but let me, let me help you connect it. Here's, here's what I believe that Jesus is saying. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, let me tell you the fruit. The good fruit is mercy. The good fruit is forgiveness. The, the good fruit is obedience to God's word and his law. The good fruit is all of these things. That's the good fruit, not judging, showing mercy, showing love, giving forgiveness. That's good fruit. So I'm asking this question. Here's the question you should be asking. Not how do I produce good fruit? How do I make sure I'm a good tree that produces good fruit? See, see here's what we learn in this. If I cannot show mercy, that says something about my heart, not the situation says something about who I am. It, if I just have to judge, I can't resist it. That doesn't tell me something about the way the person in front of me is dressed or acting. That says something about my heart. If I can't and won't give forgiveness, that says something about me. 
something not good about me. And here's what we know, and we know this really, really well. I can guilt you all day long from the pulpit. That won't make you give real forgiveness. I can sit my kids down after a fight and say, listen, you're going to forgive your brother. And they can say the words, I forgive you. Right? They can even say the words, will you forgive me? Like, they don't mean it. You can say the words, but there is no power that anyone around here has to force you to actually give forgiveness. What's Jesus doing? He's removing every way possible for you to perform without his help. Because here's the good news. I know my not wanting to give forgiveness says some bad things about me. So, so how do I give forgiveness? I have to be changed from a bad tree to a good tree. How do I show mercy? I don't just have 10 steps of showing more mercy. I need Jesus to do a work in my heart that changes me to a person that gives mercy. How do I not judge? Listen, I need Jesus to do a work in me that changes me from a bad tree to a good tree that doesn't judge. And how do I give forgiveness? I need Jesus to do a work in me that changes me to a person that wants to give forgiveness. And what is that work? It's not hearing more sermons. It's, it's the gospel. Like The work of Jesus is the good news. In other words, this. I should experience forgiveness from God in such a way that it literally changes me and rewires me that I'm now able to give forgiveness. I, I should literally encounter that type of forgiveness, that good news. It, it's not just a prayer I pray and I move on and it doesn't do anything to me. It's this encounter with Jesus and his gospel with the massiveness of my sin and his holiness and his perfection. And there's this huge gap. And I see Jesus fill that gap with his work on the cross. And I'm in awe of it. And it rewires who I am so that when I'm wronged, I remember. I remember. I'm not, I don't minimize the wrong. I don't ignore the wrong. I, I remember the wrong that I did to Jesus. I remember the mercy that he showed me. I remember the cross and his work on the cross. And I, I experienced his Holy Spirit at work in me, enabling me to do forgiveness that I could not give if he hadn't done a work in me. Church, that, when he's talking about this in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He's in this theme throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount where he's teaching people over and over and over again that what you need is you need me to do a work in your heart that literally changes the very core of who you are. You don't need more religious duty. You don't need more religious practice. You don't need more church attendance. You need more gospel at work in your heart that changes and rewires you and me to actually give forgiveness. It's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. 
creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need Jesus to make us new. That's how you're going to do this type of forgiveness. So, so I want to give a few points of clarification on this. I'm just going to spend a few moments to talk about forgiveness because I've given this huge argument of why I don't think he's saying you earn forgiveness by the way you forgive. I think he's saying when you experience the forgiveness of Jesus, it changes who you are and it produces a fruit that demonstrates you're new. It produces forgiveness. But here's a few points about forgiveness that I think we need to think about today. First of all, this Forgiveness is an essential fruit of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is an essential fruit of the Christian life. It's not optional. When Jesus does a work, and you can study Matthew 18 on your own to see this again. When Jesus does a work in you, it it causes forgiveness to flow out of you. It's essential. In, In church, I... I want to go here because I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I keep asking this question. Hey, God, we're longing for you to work here, right? Like, we want to see our hearts just rocked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be in awe. We want to see our worship just overflow. Like, I mean, passionate, like strained worship that is in awe of the glory of God, that we love gathering to worship and sing to him. But sometimes it feels strained. Are you okay with me being this honest right now? I can't tell on your faces because I'm going to be. Uh, so I don't know why if I ask if you're okay, but I'm just checking to make sure y'all are all right now. Like sometimes it feels too strained. And I'm wondering, man, is it, is it strained because unforgiveness is way too easy for us with one another? Like in a church that's been around for like over 60 years, we got a whole lot of potential for unforgiveness. We got decades of opportunities with one another to wound and hurt and offend. And I wonder if what happens is our hearts cool and steal over. I wonder if what happens is Worship gets strained and agonized and fake. I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons we're not seeing our unsafe friends and coworkers get saved, why it's so hard for us to engage the mission, I wonder if unforgiveness has taken root in us. I wonder if, that baptism was empty for so long and unmoved. I wonder. I wonder if for forgive, unforgiveness, there's just too much of it here. If I, if I think about the sin that concerns me the most for us as a church, I'm not saying there's not big doozies out there. But I, the sin that's bouncing around here, I, I don't believe we've got tons of the big ones. Whatever big ones I'm supposed to preach about all the time. I I think the one that has a pulse in our church, I think it might be unforgiveness. And church, I, I just want to tell you, Jesus died for you. 
with joy. And if you've really placed your trust in him, he's given you a brand new heart. He's put the Holy Spirit in power in you and I. That's not theory. That's his promise. He's given you you and I everything we need to do the thing we can't do on our own. Give forgiveness. Church, I, I don't want us to continue to be an unforgiving people. Listen, I... I know, I'm totally nervous that some of you have some doozies that you're like, man, are you telling me? Listen, if you got a doozy, you need to come and talk to me. All right, I would love to talk to you and work through this. Now, I also want to highlight this. It's not just that forgiveness is essential. I want to highlight, this doesn't mean that we will always forgive perfectly. Again, he's given us a spirit and new heart, but he's also said he's still at work in us that he will finish the work that he started. It's not done yet. That's why there's a prayer that says, hey, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that there's an agony and a wrestling that's going to happen. I don't want to paint this surreal, fake picture that you get saved and someone cuts you off in traffic and immediately, I forgive you. (laughs) I don't know exactly how that someone walks up and does something awful to you and you just... It just, that was easy. I forgive you. Ah, like nothing. Like that's, that's not the picture that we're painting. There is a wrestle. There's a rub. There's an agonizing. There's a war that happens in our hearts that when the unforgiveness begins to happen, we hit our knees and we beg Jesus to help us. It's okay for that to be a huge part of your prayer life. I'm a, it is fine by me if the prayer you are wrestling with is, God, help me to forgive Fias for being an idiot pastor. That is fine by me. Run to Jesus. I'm serious. Run to him. Beg him to help you in this. And you don't think pastors get a pass on this. We don't. I have a heart that needs a savior as much as you do. So sometimes when those bad interactions happen, I have to do the same exact thing. Jesus, help me forgive. Help me, help me to forgive. I don't want to. My heart feels hard. I don't, I don't want that to be true. I believe you did a work in my heart, and I'm asking you to help me produce fruit by your power. That's fruit of forgiveness for that person, whether they ask for it or not. And I also want to say one other thing. Not only is forgiveness essential and that Jesus can help you and it doesn't mean we'll forgive perfectly, but here's the last one. An unforgiving heart is a really scary thing. I I look at what Jesus says here and everything in me wants to soften it. I I look at it and I say, man, if, if unforgiveness, like I, if, it's, it's probably not a seething anger in you. Unforgiveness is cold, okay? If, if unforgiveness is, there's this thing that you don't want to forgive. It's not that it feels hard and there's a wrestle. It's in there and you got it and you like it. You like having that unforgiveness and there is no plan. 
no wrestle, no agenda to ever address that unforgiveness in your heart. It's there and you probably got multiple and you're hanging on to it and ain't nobody, no time, no how get me to even address forgiveness. I'm unforgiving and I don't care. I'm being dramatic about that, but you understand what I'm saying. If it's not a struggle, if Jesus isn't working in you on this, if you're good with unforgiveness, it's just boop, done. Listen, it would be unfaithful of me to Jesus and his word to not say this very clearly. I, I want to say, if you have an unforgiving heart, you might not be saved. But I think Jesus says it stronger than that. I think he says if you have an unforgiving heart that you, you're, you're clinging to, I think it says you are not saved, that you have not experienced the life-giving grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Doesn't mean you've lost the salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm saying our encounter with Jesus and his gospel should do a work that changes us and enables us to forgive. You may be wrestling with it. That's not, I'm not talking to you. The person here who has it and owns it and clings to it and loves it and cherishes that unforgiveness, you need to hear the warning of Jesus and I will not lessen it for you. An unforgiving heart is a scary, scary thing. I have questions for us to wrestle with today. In a moment, we're going to do communion. Of all the weeks to have communion scheduled. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to ask us to do some stuff here. All right? Bear with me if I get a little weird. All right? Are you all good with this? I don't want to cause embarrassment for anyone. I just want us to... But let me ask you some questions for you to think through. It's this. Are you struggling with... Forgiveness today. As, as you've been hearing the word, did God put a person or a situation on your heart? So now I, I want you to literally run to him and ask him to help you work through this. Listen, did he convict you that you hurt someone that you need to ask forgiveness for, that you need to initiate as the offender? I want to encourage you to do that. If you're firm and established in your unforgiveness, I want to call you to repent and place your trust in Jesus. Like to be saved, to really encounter the life-changing good news of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of response. Not going to do it yet. And if no one moves, it's okay. But I'm going to have us bow our head and close our eyes when we, when we do this. And when everyone's head bows and eyes, because I don't want people to be embarrassed, um, that's going to be a moment where if God puts someone on your heart and if they're in this room, I want you to obey him. If you put someone on your heart in this room, I want you to go and talk to that person. I don't, I don't want a big talk here. So listen, uh, our pastors will be down front. If you feel like you need to talk to someone, like ask them. You can't force them. If they say yes and come, and we can give you a room to go talk with a decision counselor or a pastor if you need that. Okay, now I'm going to give you time to do that when your heads are bowed and eyes are closed because I don't want people, get, I don't want to cause embarrassment. Okay, but I, I got to give you a chance to respond before we take communion. All right, and I'm only going to give a few moments for that. Then after that, we'll stand and sing a song and then I'll, I'll guide us through our time of communion. Okay, 
So now's the time for us to do business. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and our decision counselors and pastors to come up. Listen, if there's someone that you need to speak to about forgiveness that's in this room, I'm not going to leave heads bowed and eyes closed for very long. So you, you need to move quickly. If God did a work in your heart where you feel like, you know what, what's going on in me is I just, I really, I've been wrestling with this and I just, I need to do time with, spend time with God. These altars are open. You can come down front. We have pastors and decision counselors. If you need to get saved, we, um, and you need to place your trust in Jesus. We have pastors and decision counselors. We'd love to talk to you. This, not, this is just a time for you to do business with God. Listen, it's also okay. If he didn't convict you of forgiveness, of unforgiveness, then can you just simply there in your seat, you can worship him and say, God, I'm just grateful that you're doing a work in my heart. Praise him that his work was so strong. It didn't just give you a list of duties. He, he changed who you are so that you could actually grant forgiveness. Worship him for a complete and gospel work. All right, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to stand and sing a song of praise to Jesus. Our altar will still be open. Our passion and decision couch will still be down front. If you need to speak with someone, we'll be here to help. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, you see us. And I just ask that you would work. God, I, I pray that we would taste and experience your grace in a way that changes us so that we could give it to other people. God, I'm asking that for myself and for all the men and women that are here. God, we ask that you would be glorified. Do a work in our hearts. And God, we also say this, God, we're, we're grateful that you showed us mercy. God, I'm grateful that you gave me forgiveness when I didn't deserve it while I was still an enemy. God, I'm grateful that you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross. God, you're worthy of worship and praise because you're strong and you're powerful and because you're kind and patient. I pray that we'd worship you today in that. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.